you are always reintroducing yourself to me because I was certain you did not care.
When I was getting ready to come up here, I was just praying, you know, to the Lord down there, and I was kind of giggling to myself because I was remembering this time I was getting ready to get on a stage in Atlanta, and I was asking Jesus. I was just in the front row begging him, like, oh, God, just come and show up, and would you come and be, like, come and just, come, you know, like, something like that. And I promise you, I heard the Lord say to me, mm, I don't really need to come and show up. I've actually been in Atlanta for a really long time. <laughs> like, what if you come and show up? And so now, right before I get on a stage, this is exactly what I pray to the Lord. I'm going to come and show up. I'm going to come and bring my heart, my mind, my pink Bible, my stories. My, I'm going I'm to I'm gonna come and I'm going to show up. And whatever you want to say to me, Lord, I'm, I'm, a, I'm listening for it. And that's my challenge for you in the next 20 minutes, I think I got here. Like, come and show up. Because the loudest voice in this room is not coming through a microphone. The loudest voice in the room has a message specifically tailor-made for you. Today we're gonna to talk a little bit about missional living and my mission took me across the border and into another country, but your mission might take you across the street or across the hall or across the sports field or across the classroom or across into a neighborhood or across in your own family. Like, I have no idea where God's mission for you is, but that's what we're gonna talk about today. My missional story began after my husband and I graduated from college. We went to our hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio, and we used to take the summers and take high school kids on mission trips. And on one of those mission trips, it was kind of a bad mission trip, I don't know. I'm sure at the mission fair tonight, you're only gonna get invited to high quality mission experiences, but we were at a bad mission trip. We were painting this wall around a church from blue to green, but I'm pretty sure the year before we'd painted it from green to blue. And the students that we brought weren't feeling very inspired by what we had invited them to do. And so one day, I, the second to last day on our trip, I was complaining to my husband, like you cannot tell me we're going to paint for two more days and then go back home. And he's like, Beth, I don't know what to tell you. I, I mean, do you think there are any orphans in this city? Because in college, we had gone on a mission trip to the country of Albania and had met an orphan there and it had left an impression on us. And I was like, I have no idea if they have orphans in Queretaro, Mexico, but here's what I know. It's way better than painting. So don't miss this detail. We left the students in the hands of very responsible adults. And then we jumped into a taxi cab and I didn't speak any Spanish at the time. So I just started to say orphan with like a Spanish accent, like El Orfano, El Orfanatorio, El Orfanatorio. The cab driver figured out what it is that we wanted. He took us to an orphanage and then he left us there because that's what cab drivers do. You know, they leave you behind. And I looked over at my husband, I'm like, do you even know the name of that street that church is on? And do we have enough pesos to pay somebody to take us back? And if these people answer the door, what are we gonna say to them? And I didn't know it at the time, but I now know that when you find yourself in a storyline where you have more questions than you have answers and you're in way over your head, you're probably right in the center of God's will. So in this gift the Bible tells us called the peace that passes understanding fell on us. I knocked on the door, pushed my husband in front of me because he'd had some high school Spanish. We told the guy we had three things in our hands. We had 200 US dollars. We had one complete day on a trip and we had about 25 able-bodied high school kids. And we just said, if you had access to that, what would you do? That's how missional living begins. You figure out what you have in your hand and who you wanna reach out to and how to bridge them. The guy told us the kids hadn't had meat in over a year and the windows were all broken in the front. The next day we came back with lots of meat and some new windows. I was serving meat to the kids. This little girl kept coming up for more and more hamburgers. My husband pointed her out to me like, do you see that little girl? And I said, I can't keep my eyes off her. She's literally the cutest thing I've ever seen. And he's like, well, pretty sure you took your eyes off of her a few times because like she's been in line like five times and I don't really know any preschoolers that can eat five hamburgers. <laughs> And so I followed her the next time she came up for a burger and we went eventually then into her dorm room and I could see from where I was standing that she and her buddies, their little preschool buddies, they were all helping each other lift up their mattresses and they were sticking their burgers underneath them. And I kept thinking about all the people I knew in my life who would buy a hamburger for an orphan if they only knew how to get it to them. The next day we came back to our hometown in Ohio and everything about my life looked the same but nothing felt really the same ever again. We were in this little season where we had double income, no kids, so we made more money than we needed. We decided that next year we would just live on one of our salaries, save the other one, so that we would be in a position of readiness if God would ask us to do something. So we got all, all ready. At the end of that year, we thought we were sitting on a treasure. It was one year of a teaching salary, so like, you know about how big my treasure was, but we decided 
we were going to take that treasure and move to Mexico. And this is like the dawn of the internet. So I was reading a book about how to move to another country. And I went, it said like, you got to take, you, you, it says you should take cash with you. So, because I didn't have like the ability to do international wire transfers. So I went to my local bank and I just like said, hey, I'd like all my money like in my account in cash. And when you do that, you alert a bank manager and he came out and he's like, what are you doing with all your money? I said, well, I'm moving to Mexico. And uh, he's like, why don't you come back in my office for a minute? And uh, he eventually talked me into something we don't even use anymore today, but it was called traveler's checks. We exchanged that whole account into traveler's checks. I put them in my backpack and it takes three days to drive from Ohio where we were living to Monterey, Mexico, where we would spend really the next 15 years. But at that point we thought just the next year and with a backpack full of traveler's checks. Eight days in, we went to a bank to turn those things into pesos. And I queued up at a bank in Monterey called Benorte. And when it was my turn in front of the line, it, it, there's like glass between you and a teller and a little squawk box, you know, like you talking to. And there was like a little divot at the bottom of the window. And I was just pulling out the traveler's checks from my backpack and I was slipping them under the divot because the guy in Ohio told me if I could turn, I could give these things to anyone anywhere around the world and they would give me back the currency. So I'm thinking, I need pesos. So I'm shoving them all under the window. The lady on the other side starts to try to give me some instructions. I had no idea what she was saying to me. So she's starting to shove them back to me and I'm thinking, that's not gonna work. Like I need these in pesos. So I just kind of irrationally returned them. She starts to give me instructions really at the top of her lungs and real slow the way people do when they think you don't understand them. And she's yelling at me really loud. Tienes que firmar tu nombre allá, por favor. Ponte tu nombre allá en la línea, por favor. Firma el nombre allá en la línea. And she's returning him to me. Like, I said to Todd, I'm thinking she wants like our IDs or something. Let's show her our passports. So I put our passports on top of our checks and I returned them to her. That's not what she wanted. So she did it louder and slower until really she was kind of hysterical. And she was yelling, nombre, ponte tu nombre allá en la línea. And then she... She points to this line at the bottom of the check and I said to Todd, I know what she's saying. I think I've heard that word before this week. So I, I get out of the piece of paper and I write what I hear her say, nombre, and I show it to her through the glass. And she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I pick up my pen and on that line at the bottom of those checks, every one of them, I wrote the word nombre, nombre, nombre. <laughs> of course, she was inviting me to sign those checks. One of my favorite verses in this whole of this Bible comes from the book of Zechariah chapter four, Verse 10, it says, do not despise these small beginnings because the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. He did not look at me that day and think to himself, my, she is going to be a terrible missionary. Like literally she can't even cash a traveler's check. I sent the wrong person. He was looking at my whole life all at one time. He saw all the stories and experiences that led up to that step we were in in that moment. And he's seen all the stories and experiences that have led since today, 22 years later. This year, our organization will transfer more than $10 million around the world in rupee and naira and peso. But if I just tell you this little sliver of the story, you might be tempted to give credit to the wrong person, but no way on earth could you give credit to a girl who couldn't even cash a traveler's check. But here's the deal. We stand in a long line of people throughout biblical history who were ill-equipped and immature and not ready for the missional life that God has called us. And we get in over our head and God has promises for us in that moment. He has promises. There's this word I've learned a couple of years ago. I was telling everybody when I first heard it, it's this word in Hebrew called henini. And we translate it in our Bibles as here I am. You find it like eight times in the Old Testament, like think Moses in front of the burning bush, God calls his name and he responds with the word heneni, or here I am. Abraham on his way up a mountain with his son Isaac, thinking he's about to sacrifice him. The Lord calls his name, he responds in Hebrew, heneni, or here I am. But the word heneni really means a little bit more than just here I am. It means whatever it is you're about to ask of me, I'm already in agreement of it. And when I first learned Hanani, I was running around telling everybody I know, like, Hanani, Hanani, like, whatever God has for me, I'm in agreement of it. Like, if he wants to ask me to cross the street or cross the border, if he wants to ask me to give up my time or give up my money or give up my whatever, like, Hanani, I'm going to just tell him this year, at all costs, whatever it is you're asking of me, I'm already in agreement of it. And I was telling people that for about six months of last year. And then halfway through the year, I went to Israel and I was talking to this Hebrew guy there and I was like, hey, just, just check it with you about something. I've been telling a lot of people about this word, Heneni, and I'm just 
just wanting to make sure I'm like saying it right and like, am I teaching it right? Is that really what the, is that what it means? He goes, yeah, that's, that, that's right. And he goes, but do you know there's one time in your Bible when the Lord says Haneni to you? I'm like, there's some time in my Bible where Jesus says, whatever it is I'm asking of him, he's already in agreement of it. Would you show me where that is? He said, open up to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58 says, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and tie the cord of the yoke, to share your food with the hungry and divide the poor wanderer with shelter, to literally make room at your table for people who have nowhere else to sit? to, to you know, clothe people that are naked, to not turn away from your flesh and blood, to be about God's business. This is what God's asking of us, to have eyes to see those who are not exactly in our story with our privilege, but to see those who are outside, missing from God's family, marginalized by society. If we have eyes for them and if we move on their behalf, if we make room for them and feed them and clothe them and invite them and love them and serve them and encourage them, then it says your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. He'll be in front of you and he'll be behind you. Then you will call on the Lord and he will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Heneni, here I am. Whatever it is you're asking of me, I'm already in agreement of it. And I thought to myself when he said that, that's the story of my whole missionary life. Do you know how many times I have in over my head? Like every day. I am not enough for the things that God has asked of me. Not ever, not to raise 10 kids. I'm always saying there's not enough Diet Coke in the world to make me a good mom all day long. Like there is, I, I am right, like that's the mark of being right there on the edge of God's will for your life. You're not enough. You're not smart enough, wise enough, discerning enough, patient enough, good enough, self-controlled enough, loving enough, joyful enough. You're not enough. But here's what happens when you get into God's business and you get in over your head and you cry out to him, he'll say, hey, whatever it is you're asking of me, I'm already in agreement of it. We just sang it in those songs. When we need strength, he gives it. When we need help, he gives it. When we need wisdom, he gives it. Because this, is, this, this way of living, this, this missional way of living, it's an opposed life. We have an enemy that's constantly fighting against us. Last year, my husband was getting ready to go to our India site and um, we have a site now in India, and uh, I love going there. I totally invite you all to come. Um, but that week that he was getting ready to go, it was a really hard week. I don't know if you've ever had a week like that, where it just feels like everything's coming at you in every direction. And it felt like more than just the regular life. It felt like there was some spiritual warfare that was coming against us. And the night before he was leaving, I was pouting a little bit. And I was like, oh, I don't want you to go because it's more fun to fight right next to you than it is for us to be like, you know, other sides of the planet from each other. And we were honestly having a conversation about whether or not he should go. And then finally I'm like, no, go serve the orphan. What a great idea. I'll be fine here by myself. So he left the next day to travel to India. It takes 24 hours to get there. And the next day I was trying to remember a verse I had heard somebody say before about how the enemy has no authority over you. And I was thinking, I really want to get my head around that verse because I'm going to use it all day today. I don't want that enemy to think he has authority over me in any place. I eventually found that verse in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. It says this, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And so I wrote that like on a little note card and I pretty much told everybody I ran into that day. Listen to this verse I found in Luke 19. It says that nothing can harm us. The enemy has no authority over us. Well, I woke up the next morning and I didn't, hadn't talked to Todd that whole 24 hours he was traveling, like he just, he's in an airplane. So he had no idea what verse I had been chewing on. The next morning he woke up and he sent me a video and just in, I brought the video to show you, but in his defense, he did not know I'd show it to like, you know, an entire collegiate community. He thought he was sending like a video to his wife. So I'm just giving you that little disclaimer. And I also don't want you to be afraid when you watch this video not to go to India because I've been a bunch of times and I've never seen anything like this. But that morning on our campus, they caught a king cobra. And he showed me what it was like when the snake catcher actually got the cobra to go into a bag. And this is like a little animal planet for you. King cobras are afraid of the cartilage from their own head, like little pieces of snake cartilage, they're afraid of it. I don't really understand the science, but they are. I personally think, why don't we all just carry that in our pockets if that's true? But the snake catcher uses this tiny little rock to frighten the snake into submission. 
And Todd was sending it to me because he's like, hey, I just was watching this snake catcher catch this great big scary snake. And I was thinking to myself, his rock doesn't look that big. You have a tool in your tool belt, Beth. Don't ever forget to use it. It's called the name of Jesus. And if you use the name of Jesus, the snake that's coming around our garden has to go back in the bag, right? Okay, let's watch my, my little video. So cool, right? You want to see it again? I've never shown it to one person who's like, that was enough. I'd like to just see it once. Luke chapter 10, 19. I have been given authority to trample over snakes and scorpions. There you go, right? Mm. You put that snake back in the bag because when you decide you're going to live missionally and you're going to cross the, the hallway and reach out to someone in your dorm today, or you're going to have eyes to see what else is going on around in the community outside of this campus, or you're going to go tonight and, and ask Jesus if he has a story for you on the other side of some border. When you say yes, and you're going to get overwhelmed because you aren't enough and you have more questions than you have answers. You remember the tools you have in your tool belt, that this enemy has no authority to harm you that he has to go back in the bag. They're, these are not characters of the same size. In fact, if read Exodus 8 later, it talks about how there's more power in the finger of God than in all of evil combined. I'm gonna finish with this story. So sometimes though, like, okay, you're a missional living, you got questions, you got answers, you're in over your head, you're asking Jesus for help, but you still have things that you spend emotional energy on, right? Like emotional, like you get stressed out about like chemistry and boyfriends and what, I mean, whatever, like all kinds of things, right? Like there are things that we spend emotional energy on that literally take energy from that which God might have for us. Well, when I was living as a missionary in Mexico, we would go up to Texas every couple uh, months to buy what we called border goodies, like the kinds of things that we thought we needed to live as missionaries, like cheddar cheese and I don't know, like things like that, that dark chocolate chips. And I was shopping at a Texas outlet and I noticed a purse in a window that was outside of my budget. At this point, um, with, I had nine kids at the time and I was carrying budgets, I was carrying purses that had contingency plans for all nine of my kids if something happened, right? So they're like, kind of like military bags. So this little tiny lilac suede coach purse was calling my name in this Texas outlet window. And I was like, it looks pretty. I think I'm gonna just go in and see what it smells like. Three visits in to smell it later, I came out with it. And uh, I just splurged, bought this little purse, carried it around the squatters, villages, and orphanages that I served in for the next few weeks. Kind of looked ridiculous. And I loved it until it got stolen out of my car. And I can remember when it got stolen out of my car, just to give you insight into my broken theology, I was thinking to myself, oh, I got what I deserved. I wasn't a very good steward. I shouldn't have done that in the first place. And to further punish myself, I started to carry the purse of my eight-year-old daughter. And I did that for a few weeks until I was coming to the United States to speak somewhere. And then I thought, that is so cliche. The missionary shows up with this terrible-looking purse. Like, I'm going to, en route from the airport to the church, I'm going to stop somewhere and buy something. And I pulled into the strip mall I was not familiar with at all. And I looked around at all the stores and I saw one store that I thought maybe they would sell purses. And it was like a luggage store, so I buzzed in. They had this, like, leather backpack that was, like, very useful and utilitarian, but also kind of attractive. I was like, perfect hybrid. I grab it, I go up to the, the door to pay for it, and the lady tells me how much it's going to cost, and it's the same price as that purse I had stolen a few weeks before, and I was like, oh no, I have learned my lesson before. I'm not buying that purse, no thank you. I'm sure she was thinking like, there was a price tag on it, but I left. I went and spoke, and then later that night, I drove to Ohio where um, I was staying with my mom that night. She was our U.S. mailing address, and I was going to spend the night with her before the next day going back to Mexico. And I had had a birthday since I had last been home. So in my childhood bedroom was like some cards and stuff there and a package from my college roommate. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet, she remembered. 
And I sat down on the edge of my bed to open up this package. And when I opened up the package, the first thing I said when I saw what was inside, I said it out loud to the Lord. I said, you are always reintroducing yourself to me because I was certain you did not care about purses. Inside of that package was the leather backpack I had just held a couple hours before then. And I called her, you know, like, first of all, when do we start exchanging gifts so nicely? But then I called her and I said, I found out that she had actually purchased that purse for me before my other one got stolen, which means that God put into motion a solution to a problem I hadn't even had yet. That night I laid in bed, I didn't even know how to pray. I was thinking about all the wasted emotional energy I had spent beating myself up, being mad at that thief. Meanwhile, God had all things under his control the whole time. The only word I could think of to say was amen, like amen, which literally means so be it. And every time I said amen, it felt like I just kind of opened up the room, like amen, like amen. Finally, my heart kind of settled down and I said all the things we normally say in prayer, right? Like I asked for stuff and confessed my sins. Then at the end of that, I just closed off by talking, by admitting and acknowledging who I was talking to. So I was like, oh, dear Jesus. And I realized I had inverted my prayers. I had started with amen and I had ended with dear Jesus. And that's been over 10 years and I pray that way now every day. I start with amen. At the start of the school year, start with amen. Have a sense of confidence that God is sovereign, that he knew what he was doing when he brought you here, that he has great purpose and plan for you here, that he not only wants to use you in this community and from this community into a much larger community, but he wants to love you deeply while you're here. Amen. Amen, is, that word realigns me. I can whisper it to myself when my thoughts are going crazy, when fear and anxiety threaten to steal a moment that I'm in. I can, the word amen, I'm gonna loan it to you. I'm gonna give it to you. Use it to remind yourself of who he is, of what he's called you to, of how he wants to come when you call for him. And that no matter how small your first steps look like to you, he delights to see this work begin. Let's pray. Amen. You are good and you are sovereign and you are to be trusted and you are on the move. And you are stirring and calling and equipping and protecting. You are so good. Teach us, Jesus, to understand that you you are not a character of the same size of our enemy. That we can call on you and you will say, here I am. Whatever it is you're asking of me, I'm in agreement of it. I'll put that snake back in the bag. He has no business in your garden. He can't take from you not one more minute. He can't take your thinking. He can't take your time. He can't take your relationships. He can't take the will I have for you. He can't take your dreams. He can't. He has no authority in this place. So Jesus, I pray with the authority that you give us as co-heirs with your son, Jesus Christ, you would release an anointing in this campus, that they would feel it in their residence halls, that they would feel it in their classrooms, that they would feel it tonight at the gathering, that they would feel it at the mission fair, that they would feel it on their athletic fields, they would feel it everywhere they go. You are here in the midst of us. And you are using this time for extraordinary purpose. Teach us what it looks like. And I say all that, acknowledging who you are, the resurrected and powerful son of God, Jesus. Amen, if you didn't know that. Amen. Thanks. Just a word has the whole earth shaking Yes, our God cannot be moved In a world of hate and vengeance Your word speaks of forgiveness Yes, our God cannot be moved Yes, our God cannot be moved
love will be our life And I can see that the day is dawning
for my